everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff Paulson, sitting again in the uh, plush Seattle Two Strike Noise studios is my co-host, Johnny Washington, a.k.a. Mark A. Johnston. How you doing, Mark? Oh, man, it's a it's beautiful up here. It's nice weather and everything, and it, it's kind of creeping me out, so I'm glad to be back in the studio and away from all that bright light. Yeah, don't worry. The, the clouds will be coming soon. Summer is almost over. Oh, we're counting the days. Yeah. You know. All right, so if you are joining us for the first time, while we are a baseball history podcast, I do like to give Mark the option to maybe veer away and cover another subject instead of baseball history, so I like to give him a choice at the beginning of the episode. Today is no different, so Mark, I'm going to give you the choice. We can either do baseball history, we're we're, we're pretty versed in that, or we can kind of take a 90 degree turn and we can go over in depth my photo shoot for the ESPN, the magazine body issue that didn't make the cut. Wow. You know, I would definitely lean towards the latter, except for podcasting isn't really historically a visual medium so i think maybe we'll stick with baseball history that's probably good i yeah. i mean because you can't really turn anywhere on the internet these days without seeing christian yelich yeah and uh, his pictures at this point so i maybe maybe you're right it is kind of it is kind of not really a visual medium so all right well we'll do baseball yeah. history then all right that Decided. sounds like fun in fact i think we uh we got some stuff to go over yeah we do we've got Coming up today, this is the penultimate episode of our uh, current managers and coaches playing career extravaganza. We're going we're to cover the American and National League East, and, as well as a couple of other managers we're going to throw in there. But before we get to that, we are going to move into our first segment, as we always do, batting practice. So... Uh, Mark, put on your BP jersey. No shorts allowed. I know it's hot. You got to still wear pants. And, uh, oh, uh, oh, wait. I have to wear some kind of pants? You have to wear some kind of pants. Oh, right, hang on. So <laughs> I've got a couple, uh, couple of quick stories for you that, uh, as well as our debuts before we get into that. Uh, first, have you ever heard of a player named Aurelio Montagudo? I'm not familiar with him, no. So Aurelio was actually killed in a car accident in Mexico nine days before his 47th birthday. Now, kind of grim, but I mention this because he, Aurelio Rodriguez and Aurelio Lopez, are the only three players in MLB history named Aurelio. And all three of them were killed in car accidents between the age of 44 and 52. Seriously? Yeah. Now that is a weird coincidence. So... If you are named Aurelio and you make the major leagues, watch back. Yeah, I'd stay away from cars. Now, there is something I do want to mention about one of those players, Aurelio Rodriguez, because he has kind of a famous 1969 Topps baseball card that I was reading about this week. Uh, Rodriguez was a slick fielding, gold glove winning third baseman. He had a 17-year major league career. He batted 237 with 124 career home runs in a little bit over 2,000 games. So this card is kind of famous for what is actually not there. So the guy, the, the picture of this, this 69 card, is a guy wearing an Angels uniform, and there underneath it, it says the name Aurelio Rodriguez. 
the one thing is it's not really Aurelio Rodriguez. It is actually the Angels bat boy, Leonard Garcia. <laughs> really? Yeah. There are some theories as to what happened here. First of all, around this time, Tops and the, I'm not sure if it was the Players Union. I'm not sure that they had formed yet, but there was some some friction and players were not posing for baseball cards because of this friction. So a lot of times tops would have to go back and use older pictures of players. So one theory is they just pulled a picture. I thought that was him and stuck him, you know, stuck it on there. I don't know why they had a picture of a bat boy, but that's <laughs> one theory. The other theory is that Aurelia was playing a prank on the photographer and went over to the bat boy and said, hey, uh, go, you know, Take a picture. Pretend you're me. Have him take your picture. And nobody ever let the photographer in on the joke and thusly became his 1969 Topps card. Very collectible Bat Boy card. There's not it many is. of them. Did, you, did, you, did they ever make a, a baseball card of you while you were a Bat Boy? They, they, um, not that I'm aware of. There were some very, very popular, more famous Bat Boys at the time. So I didn't really, you know... I didn't really register. You would have been a common. Yeah, very big common, yeah. So something else uh, that came up in the past uh, past week or so. So obviously, I'm sure everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, knows that Justin Verlander threw his third career no-hitter last week. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. It, it really was. It was his second career no-hitter in Toronto against the Blue Jays, which is kind of odd. Yeah. Uh, First one he, he did as a member of the Tigers. But question for you, Mark. I, I've seen this question posed on Twitter. So Justin Verlander is obviously going to be a Hall of Famer when yes. he eventually retires. What hat is he wearing in the Hall of Fame? Is it a Tigers or an Astros hat? Wow, that's a good question. Because he was a Tiger for, I mean, he was an established Detroit Tiger for a good while. But he's having, you know, he's having a great time. And putting up a lot of numbers for the Astros, that's tough, man. I, of course, I would lean towards having him be inducted as an Astro. However, I'm sure we have listeners in Detroit that would disagree with me. Yeah, because you remember when he he went through a little bit of a downturn. Yes. When he was still you kind of the, at the end of his Tigers career. And everybody kind of thought, you know, he was injured, thought maybe this is it. You know, especially for a guy that throws as hard as he does, he's you know, was in his 30s at that point, that maybe that was it for Verlander. And, and then he really turned it around. He got traded, and he has been a Cy Young caliber pitcher since mm -hmm. joining the Astros. So, and, you know, obviously winning a World Series in Houston as well, which he was not able to do in Detroit. It's uh, it's an interesting conundrum. And well, I, did, I believe the Hall of Fame now makes a decision on what hat you wear. The player, I'm not sure if they have any say in it, but... I think after that Jose Canseco contract negotiation with the with Tampa where he agreed to wear a Rays hat if he went into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. the, the Hall decided, you know, hey, maybe we better we met maybe we better have some say in this. I don't know if players have any say at all, but that's an an interesting thought as to whether or not he goes yeah. in with the yeah, Tigers or an Astros hat. I'm just looking right now at, at uh, Verlander pitch for the Tigers from the time he was 22 and until he was 34. Wow. 12 so, years. Yeah. A long time with, with, and this is only his third year with the Astros. So I, I, I would like to see him inducted as an Astro, but if you, if you have to put him as a Detroit Tiger, 
I can still accept that. Yeah. You know, you know, who knows how many good years he has left. I mean, he could, he could be a Randy Johnson who, you know, pitches to 40 and still is very effective, or we could have seen his last good start last week. Who knows? You know, when you get to be that age as a pitcher, you, you just, you're often living on borrowed time unless you're Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson. Right. Unless you're a freak of nature. All right, so let's now jump into the uh, final part of our BP segment, the debut segment. And wow, do we have some names this week. Uh, This is, remember last week we had just a sheer number of names because essentially, you know, it was our first show with a 40-man expanded roster. So there were a lot of names of guys that got their, made their major league debut last week. This podcast is premiering on September 10th, 2019. I have got four big names for you, all four of them Hall of Famers. I, I had to skip over a lot of players that I kind of wanted to talk about simply because of the, the weight of some of these names. First one is this day in 1915, Rogers Hornsby made his major league debut with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, there's, there's a big name player, all right. Yeah, now I remember I you know when I first was getting into baseball growing up, this was a name my dad brought up a lot. And before my dad's age, but he's kind of the player that he heard a lot about that was no longer playing when he was my age and getting into baseball. But Rogers Hornsby uh, came up with the St. Louis Cardinals, played the bulk of his career with St. Louis. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1942. He's a two-time MVP, a two-time Triple Crown winner. Wow. That's impressive. Won the batting title seven times, including six times in a row. And won a World Series in 1926 with the aforementioned St. Louis Cardinals. Great player. An OPS plus of 175 career-wise and a 127 war. Ow! Yeah. Wow. I will take that any day of the week. (laughs) That's a fact. Next is 1916. the, The next year after Rogers Hornsby made his debut, Burley Grimes made his debut for the Pirates. Now, do you, do you know what Burley Grimes is most famous for? You know, the name is uh, very familiar, but... Um, Beyond having just an awesome name, Burley Grimes. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm not sure. So, Burley Grimes was the last player legally allowed to throw a spitball. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, he had a pretty long career. He is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he played for 19 years. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1964. He won a World Series in 1931 with St. Louis, finished with a 270 win and 212 loss record. And, uh, you know, looking at his numbers here, it was longevity, I think, that he really got a lot of these numbers for. He's kind yeah, of, uh, he was above good. average. Yeah, he's above average. It's a very good player for a long time is what he was. Yeah, I mean, he's getting anywhere between 12 and 22 wins every year. One year, he led the league in wins with 25. Uh, Not really a strikeout pitcher. Uh, He did lead the league in strikeouts one year in 1921, but only had 136 strikeouts. Um, Yeah, it looks like more of a control guy. Let's take a look. I I didn't look at his his pitcher's war. His pitcher's war 46.7, so not bad. Uh, Like I said, a Hall of Famer. Uh, probably more well known though for that spitball. 
Uh, next is Luke Appling in 1930. Old Aches and Pains. We covered him on our, our nickname show. Old Aches and Pains because he was always looked like he was in pain and was, was grumbling about something. So uh, Luke <laughs> Appling, 1930, made his debut for the White Sox where he played his entire career. So all 20 years he played for the Chicago White Sox. He was inducted as well, along with Burley Grimes, into the Hall of Fame in 1964, won two batting titles, and has a career 310 average. Yeah, awesome. Not a bad hitter. He did lose one year, 1944, to military service. Uh, I believe we, we even spoke about him uh, when you were uh, talking about players in, in the military. Yes. Uh, finished his career with a 113 OPS+. Plus and a war of 74.5. So, Jeff, uh, Luke Appling, I actually have a memory of Luke Appling from when I was a little kid. There was this old-timers game. Yes. And uh, it was, you know, a bunch of players that I had heard of. My dad was telling me as we're watching, he's telling me all about, you know, Warren Spahn's on the mound and so on. So, Spahn's pitching, and this crotchety old man carrying a bat comes hobbling up to the plate. He's 75 years old. It's Luke Appling, right? So you got the seventy-five-year-old man. Is this the game yes. where Hank Aaron's in left and and uh, I forget? I there's video of it, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen this. He's all kind of bent over and he comes marching up to the plate. Seventy-five years old. Spawn throws him a strike and he hits it out of the park. And and a made this was not some softball field. This is a major league park where he yeah. hit it into left field. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I'll never forget it because I just looked at him and I went, man, when I'm 75, if I can, you know, walk down the hallway without, you know, slipping and falling, I'm going to be a happy guy. This guy hits it out of the park. Yeah, I, I, I will put a link to that in the show notes. I saw that video for the first time in my life a couple of months ago. And every month or so, somebody posts it on Reddit or on Twitter. And I watch it every time because they pan before he comes up to, to bat, they pan around to all the defense and they, they're, they're fonting everybody. And the names in this game are just incredible. They're all obviously way past their prime. It is an old timers game, but yeah, he, puts a charge into it into left field that's thanks for reminding me about that yep. that that's good great. sound and everything uh crack of the bat all the stuff in color even yeah <laughs> so mr luke appling and our final debut somebody that is near and dear to my heart is a ricky henderson fan lou brock oh, yeah made his debut in 1961 for the chicago cubs he did play most of his career in st louis he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1985. He won two World Series in 64 and 67 for St. Louis. And, of course, how I know him best, he had 938 stolen bases with a career high mark of 114 in 1974. And, of course, both of those records were broken by Ricky Henderson. Uh, Lou Brock was a true gentleman and traveled with the A's as Ricky got close to breaking that record so that he could be there for Ricky's record-breaking moment. Took about a week, but he was there. Lou Brock also finished with 3,023 career hits. So Fantastic. A, a, a great player. A career OPS plus of 109 and a career war of 45.3. Very impressive. I did want to mention one other thing. Uh, every now and then we'll mention uh, 
this is the anniversary of somebody who played their last game. And this is a, a callback to somebody we talked about last episode. And I think that this is some more comeuppance because we talked about somebody last week that laughed at you personally when you had to have your head shaved That's right. after losing a bet <laughs> to Henry Mar- Mercedes. Gary Pettis played his final game today wow. in 1992. Oh, gotta love Gary Pettis. So he, he was told the day that he laughed at you, he was given his release. Yes. And then we are celebrating the final game <laughs> that he played in his career. So that'll do it for our BP segment. We're going to chalk the field, uh, wet down the infield, and get ready for the third and final installment of the uh, critically acclaimed Where Are They Now? After School Special. We are going through the American League and National League. We're going through each division, and we're taking a look at the coaching staffs and looking at the coaching staff's playing careers, uh, assuming that they were in the major leagues, which, as we found... It's probably about half of each of these teams have coaches that were actually major leaguers at one point, which is surprising to me. It's it's a lot lower than I thought it would have been. Okay, so we are moving into the American League and National League East this week. I am going to take over for the American League and Mark is going to do the National League. Uh, Mark, do you want to start us off? Okay, so we'll start off with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, and their manager, Brian Snitker, with one of the most unique names. Almost sounds like something you would make up, but no, Brian Snitker. And he never played in the major <laughs> leagues. So his lifetime war is zero, just like mine. We have the same war, major league war. And then you got, uh, this is this is a guy I used to love to watch because he was a good hitter. Kevin Seitzer is the hitting coach. Ah, is he? Yeah, I remember him with the Royals yep. especially, yep. right? Kevin Seitzer was a darn good right-handed hitter. Played some pretty good defense. All around good guy. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, meeting him a handful of times. Just nice guy. Played real hard. You know, kind of one of those hard-nosed guys. And now he's a hitting coach for, for the Braves. He has a career war of 28.8, so not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. 74 career home runs over a 12-year career. And uh, moving down the line, Rick Crantiz. Crantiz. Rick Crantiz. Easy for you to say. Yeah. Ranks up there with Brian Snitker, uh, and in fact, in numerous ways, because he never played in the big leagues either. So the pitching coach, Rick uh, Krantes, does not score any points for the Braves coaching staff. The first base coach, Eric Young. Now we know Eric Young. EY, yeah, EY. He played forever, didn't he? He played forever and played for everybody, I think. He played a 15-year yeah. career and uh, a lifetime war of, 18.8, but an interesting note here, 465 career stolen bases. Yeah, he had some speed. And and he's, Eric Young Jr. has been around for the past couple of That's years. Right. I don't know where he's playing, That's but right. yeah, he's got a son in the majors too. Yeah. And uh, the third base coach, uh, another player, Ron Washington, who played. I have, I, have, I have heard of Ron Washington. Yes. And actually, interesting we mentioned him because he was one of those names that I skipped over in our debut segment because of the four that I did choose. Uh, this is the anniversary of him making his major league debut. Nice. See, it all ties together, folks. It all it's ties all This is professionals, professional right. podcasting. That's right. Except for the getting paid part. Okay. And <laughs> the bench coach <laughs> for the Braves, of course, is Walt Weiss. You'll be familiar with Mr. Weiss. I am rookie of the year. Wasn't it 1988 88. with the Oakland Athletics? Yep, because they had three in a row. 
I think it went McGuire, Conseco, yep. and then Weiss. Yep. And and we should just mention that each team has a wild card in here. We we're putting the manager, the hitting coach, the pitching coach, and the first and third base coaches, and then we're just selecting a random coach that, according to the MLB website, you, you know, is on that coaching page. So that's how we're coming up with this this wild card. And, and Walt Weiss is a great wild card, isn't he? He is. He's it's a perfect pick. For a couple of reasons. One, he is a former manager, so now he's bench coaching again. You know, it's basically like you're like the vice president if you're the bench coach. Yep. And and he played for the Braves at one point. I think he when I was there, I think he was wrapping up his career, and I think he played a year or two for the Braves while I was there. Gotcha. Yeah, he was he managed in Colorado, didn't he? Correct. Yeah. Yep. So now he's bench coaching for the Braves, and uh, it wouldn't shock me to see him back as a manager again. And I think he is he's trying to be more adult now. I think he goes by Walter Weiss the last couple of times well, I've heard. <laughs> wow, okay. No beer for you, only wine. All right, that's fine. All right. <laughs> Whatever works, Walter. So the total war for the Braves coaching staff is 65.4. Not bad. Wow, that's yeah, that puts him right up there uh, with some of the better coaching staffs we've we've talked about in the past two weeks. Well, we go from a, a team with a coaching staff like that we're going to go to the AL East now, and we're going to start out with a team that has really had a rough year, the Baltimore Orioles. And we can make this pretty quick because uh, the manager, Brandon Hyde, the hitting coach, Doug Long, the first, post, the first base coach, Arnie Baylor, the third base coach, Jose David Flores, none of them spent any time in the major leagues. Wrap that one up. Uh, pitching coach, Doug Brokale. There's a name I'm sure you oh, remember. Oh, Absolutely. I remember him with the, I remember him specifically with the Rangers. I think he played for the Tigers as well. Uh, uh, yeah, I think yeah. he wore glasses, and I think he wore glasses because I think I remember a couple of his baseball cards uh, when he was actually playing, but he played for 15 years. Oh, I guess I have the answer in front of me. Uh, San Diego, Houston, Detroit, Texas, and Houston. Oh, there you go. Uh, 15 years, 626 games. Wow. So he worked. He was a middle reliever, a lifetime record of 52 and 48, an ERA of four and a war of 10.4. So that's not bad, especially for a pitcher uh, on a coaching staff. Uh, not a lot of great pitchers we have found. Uh, the wild card for the Orioles is their bullpen coach, John Wasden, another guy that had a nice long middle relief career. Uh, he played in Boston, Texas, Colorado, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Toronto. He appeared in 328 games, lifetime record of 39 and 39. His ERA was a little bit over five and a war of 3.4. So no coach on this uh, Orioles staff has any experience with the bat. There are two pitchers that pitched 27 years between them, almost 1,000 games, and uh, finished with a career war of 13.8. That is definitely a unique set of, of coaches. How about the Miami Marlins? I'm excited for this. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, and we've talked about their manager a number of times, Don Mattingly. Yep. And uh, how we, I, I, believe, I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, 14 years, 1,785 games. He had over 2,000 hits, over 200 home runs. His ops was 830. So a 42.4 war to go with a, a, a very good OPS. He was also the MVP of the American League in 1985. So Played his entire career for the Yankees. Yankee wore pinstripes his whole career. 
first baseman, good defensive uh, player, hit a lot of doubles. Just never could stay healthy. He had a really bad back, right. and that always always hampered him. I remember he loved Ricky Henderson when Ricky was on the Yankees because I remember an interview with him saying, by the time I get up to the plate, Ricky's always on third, so all I got to do is make <laughs> contact, and I get an RBI. <laughs> I, I know he loved having Ricky on that team, and I just loved watching Battingly play back when you know, you couldn't have out, outrageous facial hair, but you could have a little mustache. So he always had kind of one of those like horseshoe mustaches yep. and he kind of had some long, he kind of flirted with the, the whole, you know, look that the Yankees allow where you got to be kind of trim because he always had kind of long hair. Mm -hmm. You remember Mr. Burns made him si uh, shave his sideburns on the Simpsons. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I loved Don Mattingly. Yeah, he was, uh, he was Really fantastic baseball player. So uh, that's interesting. And and I'm sure he brings a ton of insight as a manager as well. Let's move on to the uh, Jeff, is it Livesey, the hitting coach for the Marlins? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Never played in the big leagues, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Trey Hillman and Freddie Gonzalez, the first and third base coaches, also no big league experience. Mel Stottlemyre is their pitching coach. Junior. Junior. Yes. Mel Jr. is their pitching coach. Uh, he played for one year, one game, and uh, had a 4.88 ERA is what it looks like. A war of zero. Okay, and then the uh, the only other major league uh, the, or coach on their team with major league experience is their bench coach. And this is, this is another solid baseball player, third baseman, Tim Wallach. Tim Wallach. Oh, yeah. I remember him from the Expos, the Expos mostly. specifically. Yep, 17 yeah. years he played in the big leagues, over 2,000 games, over 2,000 hits, uh, lifetime 732 ops, and a lifetime war of 38.5. Uh, Wallach could kind of do – he was a hitter, decent hitter, and he was a decent fielder too. He was a solid baseball player for a long time. There is a collector, a baseball card collector, that is a big Tim Wallach fan. Huh. So – I, you know, I, as you would expect, collect Ricky Henderson cards. I get one, maybe two of each card, you know, if they're, if they're cool. This guy wants every Tim Wallach card. <laughs> he does not just want a copy of one. He wants every single Tim Wallach card in existence. Uh, I'll, I, I'm going to do, I, I'll put this in the show notes because He's got an address that if you've got Tim Wallet cards, he just wants you to send it to him. I, I'm going to do it out of principle. <laughs> Somebody to be that big of a fan, you know. Of Tim Wallet, too. Of Tim it's Wallet. not his mom. Yeah, it, it, that is very interesting. I, I have a friend whose favorite all-time player is Andreas Galarraga. So you just never oh, know. big man. cat. So, yeah, and they played together. So Tim Wallet. So between the, uh, the coaching staff of the Marlins – they have uh, a total of 32 years of experience. That would be 14 for Mattingly, 17 for Wallach, and one for Stottlemyre. But I tell you what, their war adds up between Wallach and Mattingly. The team war, team, the coaching war on the Marlins is 80.9. That's what when when I was looking at the totals, that jumped out at me. The, the one thing the Marlins are good at this year. Yeah, this is true. All right, let's jump over back to the AL East and. We are going to go to the opposite in a lot of ways of the Baltimore Orioles coaching staff. We're going to look at the Boston Red Sox. So obviously their manager, Alex Cora, if you're a baseball fan, you know he had a long career. 14 years in the big leagues, 
played for six different teams. Really kind of a, a he was had a pretty average baseball career. Uh, finished with a war of seven, an OPS of 648. So not a lot. He was kind of that utility. I don't even want to say infielder. I think he probably just played wherever he could get some playing time. Right. The hitting coach is Tim Hires. He played for four years. The Padres, Marlins, and Tigers finished with a career war of minus 1.2. It just cracks me up, these guys that were even below average, and now here they are at the highest level coaching. Uh, Dana Love, I, I don't even know how you say this pitching coach. I, I, I'm embarrassed that I don't know all these guys, but the only time I watch a Red Sox game is if they're playing the A's these days. Dana Lavangi, Lavangi. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> no big league experience. By the way, I just want to mention. I, I read Alex Cora. You know the the uh, rosters have expanded now, and the Red Sox already play the longest games in all of Major League Baseball time wise. Oh boy! Uh, Alex Cora made a comment the other day about. I love having these big expanded bullpens because now our games, instead of taking four hours, take five hours. <laughs> So he is completely aware of how long his games take <laughs> and that he is part of the problem. <laughs> That's for sure. First base coach is Tom Goodwin. There is a oh, yeah. speedy name. Tom Goodwin played for six teams over a 14-year career. I didn't realize he played that long. But uh, he amassed uh, 1,028 hits, uh, an OPS of 671, and a career war of 8.6. He was a... He was always one of those guys that, you know, just seemed to always be on base because he was quick, could beat out beat out those infield singles and steal a base for you. Carlos Febles, the third baseman, uh, six-year career, I remember him. He was with he spent it all with the Royals. Just kind of uh, average a 3.5 war, 24 career home runs. He, so he hit 24 career home runs in six seasons. Tom Goodwin hit 24 career in 14. And then my wild card is the assistant pitching coach, Brian Bannister. Bannister only played for five years. It, I, to me, it seems like he played a lot longer. He played for both the Mets and the Royals. Uh, career mark of 37 and 50 with a ERA over five and a war of 4.6. So you total all that together, and uh, that is 43 years of coaching experience for the Red Sox and a career war of about 22. Wow. Lots of experience. Moving right along, how about the New York Mets? Okay. All right. Let's, um, Mickey Calloway, their manager, who was a great vaudevillian. No, I'm thinking of someone else. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, I get me shut. Wasn't he in, in uh, Little Rascals? Yeah, he was great in the <laughs> Little Rascals. He was uh, that one kid. So, Mickey. Thank <laughs> Sorry. Mickey Calloway, uh, five years in the big leagues, 40 games, a uh, lifetime war of negative 1.5, and a lifetime run-run average of 6.27. I'm sure it was a soft 6.27. Uh, Chili Davis is their hitting coach. I remember Chili playing for... That's going to uh, put some numbers on their, oh, yeah. on their tally. 19 years worth of numbers. Played in 2,435 games, you know, plenty of hits. Uh, 2,380 career hits and 350 home runs. That's a lot of home runs. Uh, Chili Davis was a solid ball player. His ops was career ops is 811. Career war was 38.2. So solid guy. You'd love to send who, up to the plate. Who do, who do you remember Chili Davis playing for? He was a giant. 
to me. So that's who you remember him as was a giant. Yeah. I remember him mainly as a twin. Okay. And then I, but I do remember him spending time with the Giants, the Royals, and I think he finished up at the Red Sox, didn't he? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he played. I'm sure there were some other teams. We could look it up and all, but let's let our listeners do that. I'm lazy. Well, I've actually done that work if you look at the last (laughs) call. (laughs) Well, I see on there who, what teams he played for, yes. Pitching coach, Phil Regan, 13 years in the big leagues, 551 games. And uh, a 3.84 lifetime ERA, not bad at all. Uh, 96 and 81 career-wide. Now, Phil Regan was in the news earlier this year when the Mets fired their their pitching coach that started the season. And he was, they were, the talk was, Phil Regan is like 708 years old. <laughs> and I believe Phil Regan has actually faced Mickey Mantle on the mound. Like, that's wow. how old he is. Um, first base coach, Glenn Sherlock. You can go ahead and make up your own elementary, my dear Watson joke. I'm not into it. I'm not uh, quick enough. Third base coach, Gary DeSarcina. DeSarcina. Yeah. Uh, lifetime uh, Anaheim, or I guess back then California Angel. Yep. Uh, lifetime war of 11.2. Played in over 1,000 games over the course of 12 years, so. Uh, a lot of good major league experience. I remember De Sarcina um, being, you know, the kind of guy that could that would play great defense, and but you wouldn't think too much of him at the plate. But then he'd come up and he'd he'd do something to hurt you. Just a lot of experience, solid ball player. And then the bullpen coach Ricky Bones, who of course bonus, is, yeah, yeah. But if I say Ricky Bones, I can say he came straight out of the book Treasure Island. That's Billy <laughs> Bones. I'm sorry, Ricky Bones. Bullpen coach, 11 years. He was a solid ball player, too. Uh, 375 career games. He notched a save and uh, played for a few different teams. A lifetime war of 6.9. So if we take a look at the Mets coaching staff, we get a 49.4 war out of the position players and a 17.2 war out of the pitching staff. So overall, doing some mathematics here, I believe we have uh, you know a, a decent number. I didn't yeah, want to do the mathematics. Not bad. Yeah, again, too lazy. <laughs> 66.6, I think. I don't, I don't want to say that number. Though. All right. All right, so let's jump over to the evil empire now. And once again, you know, we talked about how little experience the Orioles coaching staff had, and then we, we stepped it up with the Red Sox, who had a good amount of experience. Now, the Yankees, this is just, wow. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, they've got 50 collective years of major league experience. Wow. We'll start with the uh, the Boone of the moment, Aaron Boone, of course, of the the, the Boone family that's played and managed uh, through several generations. So Aaron played for 12 years, including part of that time with the Yankees, where he hit a very famous home run. Uh, Aaron Boone played in 1,152 games, 126 career home runs, Pretty good career OPS of 751 and a 13.5 war. The hitting coach for the Yankees is Marcus Thames, or if you're British, Marcus Thames. Uh, Marcus played for 10 years. He hit 115 home runs, actually had a 794 career OPS, even better than Boone, but only a 1.9 war. So that defense probably, I I believe he was an outfielder. He was, yeah. When he was when he was up, uh, Larry Rothschild. Speaking of uh, aged 
pitching coaches. <laughs> Larry Rothschild's been around forever. Larry Rothschild's only played for two years in the big leagues and only got into seven games and, and struck out one batter in those two years. Well, you know, he, he may not have been able to pitch, but he's, uh, he's a pitching coach, you know? Yeah, he, and he's teams. been a pitching coach forever. Yeah. Here's a good name, third base coach, Phil Nevin. I love him, absolutely. 12-year veteran, Phil Nevin, appeared in 1,217 games. He hit 208 career home runs. I This is a pretty impressive OPS, 814. Wow. So he was not just a, a power guy. He could get on base, too. And uh, he finished with a 15.9 career war. He played for quite a few teams. I remember pretty much all of these, though. San Diego, who's he came up with. Detroit, Texas. I don't remember him in Minnesota. Then he went to the Cubs, the Angels, and I guess he finished up with the, with the Astros. But that's a... I remember. He was he was kind of... I th- He played with Caminiti, didn't he, in San Diego? He was a little bit after, um, I believe. I believe Nevin was a draft pick, uh, a high draft pick for the Astros. Maybe I'm just dreaming. But he was a solid player. Though. Oh, no, solid all player. around, absolutely. Um, Phil Nevin was drafted by the Astros in 92. But he did not make, did he debut? I've got him, I, I think he so. debuted with San Diego. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, there. so I think he got traded. Yeah, Yeah, he was the first overall pick, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So who we got next? First base coach Reggie Willits. I know Reggie's been around for a while coaching. I don't remember his playing career. He played for six years, though. Yeah. Uh, finished in those six years with a .1 war, in the positive at least. But he played all six years for the Angels. All right, and then my wild card pick for the Yankees is Mike Harkey. Oh, bullpen nice. coach. Now, I remember Harkey, I remember absolutely as a Cub. Yeah. I remember him uh, as a Rocky. Apparently, he also spent time with the A's, the Dodgers, and the Angels. He did play for eight years, finished with a 36 and 36 mark, an ERA of just about four and a half, and a war of 5.7. So if you combine these 50 years of experience, uh, we're looking at a war of about 37. Oh, not bad. Not bad. certainly worse. Like the Orioles. Yes. You know, they uh, they definitely take the cake in a few different areas, areas of being worse. Uh, definitely. Yeah. How about the Phillies? Gabe Kapler, of course, is their manager. If you're a big fan of of uh, television, I'm thinking of Gabe Kaplan well, in the Sweat Hogs. <laughs> well, we're going to start that Battle of the Network Stars podcast. Yeah, aren't we, we got to do that sometime. There's so much. Definitely. There's so much information we could talk about. Anyway, Gabe Kapler. We'll do a minute by minute. There you go. Break. I like it. Kapler, 12 years in the big leagues, so over 1,100 games. Didn't quite make 800 career hits. 799. But uh, his lifetime war is 8.7, so definitely someone you wouldn't mind having on your team. Well, I, I've got, oh. do you remember coming up, he was, uh, he came up with the Rangers, if I, yeah. or was it Rangers or the Tigers? Rangers? I remember he came up, he was very highly touted, and as a rookie, he got a shoe deal where he got his own shoe. Oh, wow. And I just remember, because he was just ripped. I mean, he, he's still ripped, but I mean, you could like see his muscles through his jersey. But <laughs> so sort of like me, exactly like you. But what was strange about it was I, I had never I knew the shoe company. I had never known that they made athletic shoes that athletes wore. It was K-Swiss. Really? I, I did not it know that. It was K-Swiss. He had his own K-Swiss shoe. 
And it was the only shoe I remember K-Swiss coming out with that was like endorsed by an athlete or, you know, made right. for them. That's hilarious. I but, do recall that. That's yeah, I, I remember because I because I was as a rookie. He and he didn't. He wasn't even that special as a rookie. But yeah, that's that's my memory of, of Gabe. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's my turn. I was waiting. Still your turn. I was waiting for you to talk about uh, John Malley and Chris Young, the hitting and pitching coaches, respectively. Malley did not play in the big leagues. Chris Young, however, 13 years, uh, lifetime 79 and 67 record, did notch that uh, that save. Everybody needs to get one save career. Lifetime ERA of 3.95. And, you know, for someone you may not uh, know a whole lot about, a, 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 a pitcher with a war of 16.1. Not too bad. Now, is this this Chris Young? This is the Chris Young that played for the Mariners a couple of years ago. He's like seven foot tall. He's not really, but he's like six. He's a big dude. Seven or yeah, he won the comeback. I think he won the comeback player of the year award either with the Mariners or the year before. Uh, because I I remember. Oh yeah. How how tall he was, and he had you know kind of flamed out, and then he made a comeback and, and was really good. And I was. Remember when the Mariners picked him up? I was a little worried until I remembered it was the Mariners, and yeah, he was—he he actually had a pretty good career. Yeah, yeah, I—I gotta—I gotta agree with you on that one. Um, next, uh, the third base coach, Dusty Wathen, not to be confused with Dusty Bottoms of the Three Amigos. I'm Lucky Day. I'm the Needle I'm Dusty Bottoms, and together we're the Three Amigos. <laughs> So Dusty Wathen <laughs> played one year, three games, and had a, a he has a lifetime war. It's only it's just point two. So at yeah. least it exists. Yeah. First base coach Paco Figueroa, no big league experience. And Paco Paco Figueroa, that's a cool name. The bullpen coach Jim Gott. So uh, oh Jim Gott, pitch forever. Pitch forever. I remember Pirates, Cubs, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, I want to say the Giants at some point. Yeah, he, I remember him as a Giant. And I remember mm -hmm. his son is pitching now. No kidding. Somewhere. I, yeah, he's got a son that's, that's a pitcher. Yeah, lifetime ERA of 3.87 and uh, struck out 837 batters career. So his war being 9.8, actually the pitching staff for the Phillies saves them with a 25.9 career war. <laughs> Wow, and, that might be a high for pitching yeah, staff war. Not bad at all. You got to be got to be proud, uh, Chris Young and uh, Jim Gott. That, well, you put that yeah. together. That's twenty seven years of big league experience. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Add up the eight point nine that they got out of Gabe Kapler and and Dusty Bottoms, and uh, you have uh, a thirty four point eight. It looks like that's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. All right, so now we go to the. Yeah, I keep wanting to call them the Devil Rays, but they are now just the Rays. Just the Rays. Uh, this this should be this is they they've got experience, just not a lot of it. So Kevin Cash, the manager, of course, uh, eight years in the big leagues, not much going on there. Uh, you you know he and and Tito Francona from the Indians are really good friends. Kevin Cash was the bench coach in Boston for uh, for Tito and they love to tease Kevin Cash about his career whenever the Rays come to to uh 
to Cleveland. They love to put up his career stats on the big screen there <laughs> and kind of troll him. Eight years, 117 hits in 246 games, a minus 3.1 career war. He played for five different teams. The batting coach is Chad Motoya. Chad has got five years as, uh, in, in the big leagues with a minus 0.9 war. Kyle Snyder, five years in the big league. Everybody on the staff has five years. Uh, Kyle Snyder pitched for five years for Kansas City and Boston. Eight and 17 career mark with a 0.4 war. The first base coach is Ozzie Timmons. I remember, the, I remember him vaguely. Five years. Um, actually a pretty decent OPS of 730, a career war though of 0.1. Then, uh, Rodney Linares, the third base coach, no major league experience. And I could not come up with a wild card. There was nobody else that had any major league experience on their coaching staff. So together they have 23 years of big league experience, but they have a minus 3.4, 3.5 war. Crazy. Yeah. That's funny. Let's see. I'm going to wrap up over here with the, the Nats, the Nationals. Manager Dave Martinez, 16 years of big league experience, almost 2,000 games. I remember, uh, I remember Dave Martinez as, for some reason, an expo. So Dave Martinez, a career war of 19.1. So a long, nice long career. Um, hitting coach Kevin Long, absolutely no stats whatsoever. I'm sure he's a great guy. And uh, pitching coach Paul Menhart. Uh, I actually do remember Paul Menhart coming up with Toronto because he was kind of a touted rookie. And uh, Don't remember him at yeah, all. Yeah, he pitched three years in the big leagues, only 41 games, notched a, a, a big war of 0 0.4, which um, is the only war on the pitching staff side of the Nats. So, But think, if, if somebody asks him, hey, so, I mean, you, you were a big leaguer. Were you, were you any good? He can say, I was above average. I, I'm a, I was above average, and I helped my team out a lot. That's, you know, better than some replacement would, something like that. Uh, first base coach, Tim Bogar. I love Tim Bogar. Tim Bogar. Bogar. Tim player. Bogar fat. He was, a, he was an Astro, so, you know, got to like him. Nine years, 701 games, a lifetime war of 1.8. Um, I remember him as a Met. Yeah, to, I remember him as a Met, but I, to, to me, he was an Astro because I, I enjoyed him when he played for the Strohs. I would hope his nickname's Bogey. I don't know. Yes, and they could play the Colonel Bogey March um, when he comes to the plate. completely oblivious That's, to what that is. You know, is. Bridge on the River Kwai. Never mind. Oh. Sorry. Uh, moving on. Yeah, this is not a movie podcast, Johnston. Um, Bob Henley is the third base coach, and he played one season, got 41 games in. He had a pretty good ops, uh, 846 OPS, mm. and uh, a, a career war, career being that one year, of 1.2. He played for the Expos. Um, and then the um, bullpen coach is Henry Blanco. And Blanco played forever. Henry the White. That's right. And uh, 16 years, didn't quite make a 1,000 games, a career war for a... Boy, for a guy who played that long, his career war is right about even. It's negative 0.1. He was a catcher, he right? He was. I believe he was everybody's backup at one point or another. Yep. <laughs> and now he's the bullpen coach, so that's kind of interesting. 
So yeah, Henry Blanco, and, and I saw another name that I couldn't fit in today in debuts was Jose Mesa made his debut today. Joe Table. Oh my! So Joe Joe Table and and Henry Blanco are two names that I always crack up when you when you translate them from Spanish yeah. to English. We used to call him Jose Messup for obvious reasons. <laughs> He did pitch for the Mariners, didn't he? If you want to call that pitching, I'm moving on. Um, the Nats, if you add up the pitching and hitting stats, you get a war of 22.4. So, right, you know, middle of the ground, middle of the road somewhere. Not bad, not yeah. bad. So, here we go. Last team, the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, we can make this pretty quick. The manager, Charlie Montoya, he played one year in the big leagues, four games, Two hits, a war of zero. There you go. So he he got his time in, at least. Uh, Guillermo Martinez is the hitting coach, did not play in the big leagues. Pete Walker, eight years, 144 games. Uh, he played for the Blue Jays, the Mets, the Padres, and the Rockies, and actually ended up with a 3.6 career war. I don't remember Pete, but good, good work, sir. There you go. Uh, Mark... Mark Budzinski, the first base coach, one year, four games, minus one, minus point one war. Uh, Luis Rivera is the third base coach. He played in the big leagues for 11 years for five different teams, managed 28 career home runs, a 635 career OPS, and a positive 1.2 war. And then kind of slim pickings for the wild card. I had to go with Matt Bushman, the bullpen coach. He played for one year, pitched in three games, struck out three, and has a career war of .1. So overall, 22 career years in the big leagues, but only a 4.8 career war as a pit, as a total staff. Yeah, it's that's you're not going to finish up in the top ten there, Blue Jays. No. So now that we have gone through everybody here, let's take a quick look at the totals and and do some comparisons. For the offensive side, the highest uh, war that we have is uh, the Marlins. Like overall, uh, that Don Mattingly yeah. really, really, <laughs> really carried them there. So they ended up with an 80.9 career war. Second only, uh, well, first, uh, second is the Oakland Athletics with that 71.2. That was from two episodes ago where yeah. uh, Bob Melvin did a good deal of the heavy lifting right. also some uh some notables the braves who uh, we covered today with a 65.4 after that there is a huge drop off you're down in the 30s after that actually no the mets with 49.4 and then that huge drop off if we look at the pitching side the winner there is the rockies with manager bud black 22.9 that's funny because uh, Colorado, not exactly known as a pitcher's park. No, no, definitely not. And actually, I misspoke. The Phillies, 25.9. Okay. So they were actually the highest who we just covered earlier today. But those are the two highest staffs. After that, it is quite a drop off from there. But that, that was fun the last couple of shows to go through and just remember some of these names. I think what we will do in a future show is it was suggested to us that we do this with team broadcasters. That'd go a little quicker, mm. but uh, that would be fun. It might go, because, you know, you're going to have radio guys. They might both, or all three, if you've got multiple ones, might be players. And then, you know, a lot of TV guys kind of switch out. 
Yeah. Could be it'll definitely be an entire show, but that'll be interesting. And then maybe we can pit the two, the players versus the the coaches or the uh, the broadcasters versus the Whoa, coaches. slow down, man. You're going to blow my mind. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so uh that is going to wrap up the main uh segment of our show. Let's go to our post-game segment. We're going to do something a little bit not different, but we're going to we're it's like turn back the clock episode here. <laughs> this is uh We've been doing a lot of Wax Packs Heroes. Uh, that's great. Everybody loves it. But if you are a longtime listener of the show, you know that uh, before Wax Packs Heroes, we had another segment that uh, we like to call, and so we do, Second Best. Play it. Your second best. Better than most of the rest. Not better than number one. Number one is better than anyone. So beyond having that incredible theme song that was professionally recorded for us, uh, we like to choose a topic and then we like to discuss what the second best answer is because everybody's going to be able to tell you what they think the best answer is. We like to give you, uh, we'll probably tell you what we think the best answer is, but we also like to tell you what the second best answer is. So, Mark, I've got a topic today that I thought would be kind of fun. Uh, Let's talk about the second best baseball-related pranks. Oh, 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 now you're you're speaking my language. Yeah, so baseball, you know, one of the great things about it is the number of games and the pace at which it is played leads to a lot of free time for players. And uh, I don't know if you know this, especially having been a bat boy in the ma- in the minor leagues for for quite a while. Uh, players like to play practical jokes on each other. Oh boy, do they ever! <laughs> so I thought what we would talk about is I'd love to hear what you think the best prank is, but then what you think the second best prank of all time is. So I'm going to let you capitulate about that. I'm sure you've got some good stories. Uh, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to tell you first what I think the best baseball prank is and i love it and it makes me laugh every single time i see it okay. is i love it when somebody does something good usually hits a home run and then all of his teammates in the dugout ignore him the they give him the shoulder, silent treatment yes. sometimes they'll even leave the dugout they'll go down the tunnel <laughs> so they'll come back after hitting that home run and they'll get to the dugout and either everybody's just sitting there not looking at them or they're not even in the dugout. Everybody is left. <laughs> and so I love it. You'll see some guys will go and give imaginary high fives all the way down the dugout. And then eventually somebody will break and then they all they all go and congratulate him. Yeah. It, it makes me laugh every single time. You know, I, I never tire of that either. I think that's just hilarious. It, it is. It, it's great. And I, I love to watch it. So now let's get to what I think is the second best baseball prank of all time. And I saw it happen in a game uh, that I was watching today. Rookie got a base hit, first base hit of his career. So, of course, they call for the ball. They throw the ball over the dugout. The guy takes it, and he immediately does a little uh, sleight of hand and swaps it out for another ball and chucks it up into the stands just so the you know the guy that got that base hit he's watching that ball because he's proud he knows he's gonna I'm gonna put that up I'm gonna give that to my dad I'm gonna you know frame it whatever and then it gets to the dugout and though I think most of the time they know what's going on it's always good good fun to have somebody throw a fake ball up into the stands <laughs> and as if they're giving it away or sometimes 
this might is a little bit less family friendly. Sometimes you'll see uh, players will take that fake ball and they'll be chewing tobacco and they'll spit all over it and they'll dump Gatorade all over it and you know make a real mess out of it like they're really messing up that ball. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the the real ball has been <laughs> safely whisked away and will be waiting for them in their in their locker in the clubhouse. So that's what I think the first. But most importantly, the second best baseball prank is. So I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Those are both solid. I, I never tire of either of those. Those crack me up every time. Uh, you know, it, it, they should be done more often. That's all I'm saying. Maybe maybe not even just for your first base hit, just randomly call for the ball. Yeah. and uh, You know, hey, if one pie in the face is funny, 100 pies in the face is 100 times as funny. <laughs> That's all I got to say. If they're all at the same time, yes, yes exactly. Um, my, I, I tell you what, there's a there's a very famous prank in locker rooms called the three man lift. <laughs> and to me, the three man lift yep. is the greatest practical joke of all time, bar none. Um, I, basically, I love it. Explain to people okay, what it is. You get probably the littlest guy on the team. He, he starts bragging about how strong he is and how he can lift three. Three people with one arm. I'm I'm going to try and shorten this as much as possible. So basically, they it, it's this is pulled on a rookie. Hopefully, who doesn't know what the three man lift is? Um, and you you say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put three guys together, and then you're gonna lift them up. Absolutely. So they take the rookie and they put him in the middle, and with one player on each side of him, and they say, and link arms. They're usually laying down, laying down. Sorry about right? that. Yeah, they're on the floor. And and they link arms and, and legs, and so they're they're kind of one solid unit. And when the player who's going to do the three man lift reaches down, he grabs the the rookie by the waistband and lifts it up. And then somebody pours ice water, tobacco, ketchup, all this stuff down the guy's pants. <laughs> that is the three man lift, and 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 I've seen it happen, and it's absolutely hysterical. Yeah, you, I, I've seen it a couple of times as well. It, there's, it, it's a mess, and I, I'm wondering if they still, if this joke gets played as much today, it, it could kind of be seen as a form of hazing that is kind of frowned upon today, but it is, it is done in fun, and it is hilarious. I, I love the three-man lift. If you can pull that one off, folks, you are a steely-eyed, practical-joking missile man. I tell you that my second favorite I, I'll go with second best here is uh is a prank called where's the key to the batter's box <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know those of you listening you're going key to the batter's box you know there is for one if you're talking about the batter's box it's just chalk there's no key and for two if you're talking about someplace that needs a key you're not talking about the batter's box so it makes absolutely no sense but that's what's so funny about it Pretty much everybody gets in on this. I saw it I, uh, when I was part of it. It was being pulled on a bat boy. Uh, bat boy named Wick. That was, he had one name. That's it. Just Wick. And uh, he, I looked at his birth certificate. It just said Wick. So Wick. John? No, just Wick. Wick. That's what John Wick would put on his birth certificate if he was in hiding. That's true, but this was not John, John Wick. I'm name. pretty sure. Um, okay. Wick. Would uh, he came back and he looked all frustrated. He looks at me and he goes, "Do you know where the key to the batter's box is?" Because Marcos just told me that you had the key to the batter's box, and I realized quickly, "Oh, okay, this is I'm in on this. This is fun." So I said, "No, man. Uh, last I heard, it was up in the front office. Frank had it." Uh, basically, everybody that's in on it just keeps sending him to someone else. 
And oh, the last person to have this was Joe Slusarski. Oh, oh no, I didn't. I gave it actually to so and so. You see how long you can keep the poor guy on the string, and uh, you know, running around like a like a psycho looking for something that doesn't exist. Um, I'm going to throw in a couple of honorable mention. One is to tell one of the Bat Boys to go get you a bucket of steam. Uh, good luck on that one. <laughs> I've seen him try. It's hysterical. The other one is when you ask the Bat Boy to pound out curbs. You give him game <laughs> balls and you tell him to hit it with a ball against the concrete until one side is completely flat. It's called pounding <laughs> out curbs. I walk into the back room one day and there's this Bat Boy and he's hitting a baseball with a bat on the floor, on the concrete floor. And I go, what are you doing? He looks at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about. He goes, pounding out curves. And I went, oh, (laughs) sorry, I should have known that. So those are honorable mention ones. But my, I I would say the second best practical joke is to find the key to the battery box. I want to know, so you've, you've, you've told us about jokes that have been played on the other bad boy, (laughs) not you. There has they had to have played one or two on you. Uh, it's kind of hard to get me because I'm I'm always looking over my shoulder. Um, they got me good when they shaved my head. Of course, I I'm the one that caused that. It wasn't so much a practical joke as it was, you know. Well, it was a little bit of a practical joke. Being you know, my life was already a joke, and it became even more when I had no hair. Um, but uh, pull, jokes pulled on me. Nothing aside from. If I'd work really long hours, I'd sometimes fall asleep and someone would come up and scare me. There's a lot of sneaking up behind people and scaring them in, in clubhouses for some reason. Well, that's, those are some good, some good, uh, some good practical jokes. Fun times. I dare you to, uh, to, to, to give us this many good practical jokes in other sports. Oh, absolutely. I don't. No way. You, there might be, there might be one or two, but. Yeah, there's you just don't get these kind of things in other sports. No, nope, that's for sure. Ah, uh, so that was fun to dust off second best. We'll uh, we'll bring it out every now and then when we get a good topic. If you've got a good second best, hey, hit us up. Uh, DM us on social media. We can be found on both Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. If you've got a second best topic you want uh, to throw our way, we'd be happy to hear it. We will also, of course, be back with some more Wax Packs Hero because I love opening uh, baseball cards. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Uh, Mark, this was a lot of fun. Uh, what do you say we get together about this time next week and maybe we can uh, do another one of these shows? We are getting dangerously close to show number 34, yeah, the, the pressure. which is going to be a very special show. The pressure. Be a very special show. pressure from show 34 is going to be my death. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. So we've got something very special coming up in a couple of episodes, but uh, we will be back next week. Mark, thank you very much for joining us uh, once again. And uh, until we speak again, thank you very much for joining us on another edition of Two Strike Worlds. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs>